James will get there. They'll, they'll be the background talk for me, which works for me. Works for me. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it is 9.06, and I have, uh, my plan was to go till, uh, I went and got, yeah, yeah, 10.06 now. I went and got my phone so I wouldn't go till 10.01, but now it looks like I may go to 10.06 tomorrow if we don't get started. So with all of that said, um, yeah, no, actually I'm not on the other side. In fact, thank you. Now, I'm going to be, they're trying to record this. I'm going to move from this side and over to this side. And I don't, I don't know that it'll always work. It doesn't get recorded well. That's fine. Yeah, I can try to go over here as well. Aim it this way. See if that works some. Or if you want to, if I can move the board here. You know what? We're just going to get started. Yes, sir. And uh, Andy said, let's, let's see. He gave me some, sent me an email and gave me some, points. Uh, so we're going to talk about Romans, but not like we've been talking about Romans. We're going, to, we're going to try to delve into it from a little bit different perspective. And my prayer is that by the time we're done with this, we can, you'll have a different view, maybe, of what, what, how, how people work their way to God and what they really think, how, who, who God is and how we get there and uh, what do they do. Uh, so if I put, if I said X, EX, what does that mean to you? Define that. Well, I was going to ask questions, but since it's already after nine, we're not going to ask questions. I'm going to tell you what it means. It means not including without. That's just the word EX. It's the last word. Exclude. We just put EX, Latin, in front of fundera, which is also Latin, which is to exclude. Okay? Which it means to, to prevent Sorry about this, it's hard for me to write like that. To prevent or restrict, to bar from participation. That's exclusive. Exclusive. It's a noun, exclusive story. I mean, it can also define itself like exclusive story. Okay. But we're going to use it as an adjective this morning, and it means excluding or having power to exclude. Excluding others from participation. Restricted in distribution. Also, can mean stylish. It means single, sole, whole, undivided. So my question, and we're going to jump into it. My question is, is the gospel exclusive? James asked that question last week. We talked about the exclusivity of the gospel. Given that definition, would you say the gospel is exclusive? Okay. I would say I would say no. The gospel itself is not Okay. The, the gospel in it, the gospel in itself is not exclusive. If it if it is or is not, then you got to ask your question why. So let me make a point here, and that is that that the exclusivity of the gospel directly relates to the truthfulness truthfulness of Christ and His Word. He presented the gospel as the only way to salvation, and that gospel is the good news that he has died and paid the price for our sin. So if the gospel is not exclusive, James, meaning the gospel is not effective on every person because that person has determined another way to be right with God, which we've been reading in Romans, then Christ has not told the truth. 
Because if that person can get to God without going through Jesus Christ, then where does that leave us as to the truthfulness of Christ? Where does that leave us with all the other things Jesus said? If he was wrong in one point, then he was likely wrong on all points. Because he said, I am the, no man comes to the Father ex, ex, except through me. He put, he put himself out as the good news. And he is the only way of salvation. So you'd have to think about that. I, I've been thinking about it, wrestling with it. I, I will say, is, is, and I'm going to go further, farther than that and say, is it that Jesus, just Jesus is the only way in that nugget of the gospel, if you will? And that alone defines the exclusivity of the gospel? Or are there other things that Jesus does for us that makes him and his means of salvation, his, even if it's order of salvation, if you go back to what Jeff covered a couple of weeks ago, is that exclusive? Exclusive to what? Exclusive to all other ways to God, all other religions. I think it's different what what's exclusive that we're talking about. Because the question is, is the gospel exclusive to only the Jews? Was it was God's from from history that we see that there's only one group of people that were going to be saved? And so that, I think when I answer the question, it's not exclusive, is that it was always meant But it does do that. Right. And so it's not exclusive in the sense that... So it includes everyone. It, in, it includes everyone. Right. But exclusive in the sense of, like, is Jesus the only way? Then, in that sense, yes. Yeah. Right. Like, right. Okay. Let, 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 let's go for, you know, let's go deeper into this, and we'll see if we're... If we're you and I would probably have to talk about this more, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let me very quickly. I mean, if Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth," no man, no man enters the Father. No man goes to heaven. No man gets in, in eternal life without Him. There is no other way. If you come in, if you if you climb into the sheepfold some other way, you were a robber. You were a robber. You were robbing people. Think about what we've been studying with the Pharisees. You are robbing people of the opportunity for eternal life that they may very well be seeking. So men have always, I made a couple of notes this morning, way, way back before I'm looking around, before some of you were even born perhaps. <laughs> I was in undergraduate school and, and I, I, started, I took the long way around. I started off in biology and I bounced around a little bit of other things. But I finally ended up with a degree in behavioral science, more specifically in sociology. But I took a lot of anthropology. And one of the things I learned, and not, not much has changed. I double-checked everything today. I, didn't, I, I actually graduated college without the Internet. So believe it or not, I, I, yeah, can you believe that? Uh, but... Uh, if, I, if, I, if you look back at any culture in the world, anthropologists have been doing this, and I did double-check, and they haven't changed anything. Uh, all cultures do something with their dead. There are no cultures that just leave a body lying on the ground. They may, may leave a body of their enemy lying on the ground, but they don't leave body of their family or their, their, the other people in their society. They do something with it, either rituals, rites, preparation. All have a view of this life in this world, I'll have a view of the in-between, the life between this world and their view of the next. I'll have a view of some sort of afterlife 
meaning beyond this life, then what? And this is really an understanding in man given by God that there is something more than the here and now. Man wants to worship. He's got this, this hole in his, you probably heard, this, this God-shaped void in his being that looks for who, who am I beyond this life. They look for what's coming next, and they anticipate that, and they prepare for that. Um, he said, I give, and most, all of them, all of them, say, I get a better life by my works. Not only now, but it's also in preparation for that future life. There is something above and beyond me. All cultures have some view of something else beyond themselves, even if it's just nirvana, some reaching some other plateau, if you will. Um, and I can devise ways to get in a relationship with being, with that supreme being, or the environment that I perceive I will be in after this life. I just have to do something now. So follow all of that. What do some of the what do some of the religions do? Um, Andy has been covering several things. I I kind of did a little more deeper view of, of a broader view, if you will. And I found some interesting things. Some of things, some of these you may have heard of before. Um, there are Catholics in the Philippines who actually have themselves crucified on Good Friday. You can see pictures of it. You can go. It's all over YouTube. I don't go to YouTube very much, but I didn't go to YouTube on this because I can imagine what. I did get a lot of pictures. I wanted to put them up on the screen, but I hadn't been able to figure all that out yet. But I'll try to paint some word pictures. Um, when these Catholics do this in the Philippines. Uh, this shows their identity with Christ, how much they want to be like him, how they want to serve him by following in his footsteps. Uh, are nails driven in their hands and feet? Yes, real nails into real feet. Uh, there's real pain. Some wear a, wear, actually wear a crown of thorns. I looked at some of the pictures. They're not very big thorns, but they have thorns in them nevertheless. But the wreath, the wreath does have thorns. Some beat themselves over the back and draw blood to identify with this scourging. Some carry their cross through the streets, stopping here and there, and people gently punch them or throw water on them, which is better than spitting on them. Um, occasionally, someone may actually spit on them, but there is less of the spitting now that we have COVID. That was, that was restricted uh, in, in, in uh, 2020. Um, I could not find any penitent, any person who did this, who was, that was actually beaten by someone else, that was actually spit upon, spit upon, that was blindfolded and was slapped and said, if you're the son of God, tell me who slapped you. Uh, I could find no one that had his side pierced far enough into his heart that his heart was punctured. But all in all, it's quite a, uh, quite a celebration in the Philippines. I found pictures with uh, uh, thousands of photographers. I found balloon salesmen. I find cyclists, unicyclists, I found jugglers, onlookers, and even Roman soldiers, Filipinos dressed up as Roman soldiers. Even politicians take advantage, and they, I saw election signs. Other, other people were displaying signs insisting that the politicians resign. <laughs> so it was all kinds of stuff. All in all, it appears to be quite a festival. It's a festival of penance and self-imposed suffering for some it's a festival of gawking, balloons, and Filipino street food, alcohol, picture-taking, and general revelry for others. 
But this is very important to these people. It is a major celebration. It is how they are identifying with the suffering of Christ. And I'm thinking, sure, they must believe that surely this brings favor in the eyes of God. How can anyone deny these people are sorry for their sin and are doing even more than the Pharisees, to use our compare with what we're studying in Matthew, required? Uh, boy, talk about the 613 additional laws in the Talmud beyond the Ten Commandments. This, these people are actually having themselves crucified. If nothing else, I suppose they hope they may spend time, less time in purgatory. I don't really know. I'm, I was not raised as a Catholic. I've done some studies on it, but that's it. Catholics in other, part of the, other parts of the world still engage in flagellation. That's beating yourself. I mean, literally with a scourge. With a, it could be uh, leather straps with metal pieces of metal or wood. Uh, and it, it's, it is a bloody perspective. Um, I won't get into you know, too much more on flagellation. You got the picture. Um, some in Islam also engage in flagellation. It's done by the Sunni and Shiite Muslims during the holiday of Ahura. Uh, includes whipping with whips as well as striking your own head with a sword. And this includes children. I mean, I saw some pictures of just long, young children hitting themselves in the head with, 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 uh, you know, with swords and blood. Um, not all Muslims do this, but all Muslims do recognize Ashur, which means 10. And it happens on the 10th day of the, the Islamic month, Muharram. Anyway, this is just as another way of the many, many Muslim rites in which rituals one must perform to please Allah, all in addition to the ten pillars of Islam you may have heard of, profession of faith, pray five times a day, almsgiving, fasting during Ramadan, and a pilgrimage to Mecca. It goes on and on. Uh, what about Hinduism? I won't bore, I'll try not to bore you too long. What about the peaceful gurus and Mahatma Gandhi? What about the Beatles? who spent time in India studying Hinduism and ended up writing the song, All You Need Is Love. And we think of them as peaceful and love, loving. Unfortunately, there is not much love in Hinduism. Granted, the overall in emphasis in Hinduism is peace, not, not only here, but when you move on and reincarnated, if you're peaceful here and you, you behave according to Hinduism rules and rights and regulations, maybe you won't be reincarnated as a cow or something, you'll be reincarnated as something, either a better animal or a better person. Um, you don't hear much about it, but there's strong opposition to Christianity in India, especially in outlying villages. We think of Hindus as vegetarians, and most are. However, it is a bloody religion. Going back 2,000 years, Hindus have engaged in sacrifice, grain, vegetables, in some cases even butter, but also chickens and other small animals that they decide is not some ancestor. They, they're able to identify which ones they can sacrifice and which ones they can't. Though human sacrifice is against the law, it makes me wonder how many of them are still doing it. I mean, there are a billion of them, so who knows? Um, Even today, in the many temples to the more than 360 gods of Hinduism, sacrifices are still made, and yes, some in blood. Many homes have temples and altars for these rituals. Though human sacrifice is against the law, I found that as late as 200 years ago, a human male child was sacrificed every day in a temple to the goddess Kali, who is the, quote, the slayer of evil with an appetite for blood, unquote. Anyway, the Hindus have over a thousand different types of rituals and requirements, but they are working their way into a, that, that better life that I just described earlier. Uh, what about Confucius? Uh, we find pretty much more of the same, but it's less violent. Of Chinese origins by a man named Confucius. 
Um, he ended up with what, he, what is called the Analects, A-N-A-L-E-C-T-S of Confucius. Analects in English simply means selected written passages. In the Chinese, it means selected writings or something close to that. Um, the Analects, based on what version you see, can be 20 chapters or up to 30 chapters. There are plenty of works in, in uh, Confucianism in addition, to the, in addition to the primary ones, which are rites and rituals, both plural, the five relations, plural, so there's five, five more things. In addition to the four standard ones, rites and rituals have multiples, and then the five relations where there's five of them right there, something else called rectification of names and something else called ren, R-E-N. I won't bore you with a lot of stuff, but uh, rites and rituals include things like funeral practices. Again, every culture, from an anthropological perspective, every culture has, does something with their dead. They don't just leave them lying in the street. They do something with them. Why? Because there is a view of the afterlife that a man is going to be accountable for this life in some afterlife. That is the thinking. They may not articulate it the way we, are, we, can, we do in Christianity, but they all have a view of an afterlife. That's why they do something with their dead. Let's see. Um, weddings, again, rites and rituals. Weddings, uh, coming of age ceremonies, offerings to the ancestors, among many others. There are five key relations under which all social interaction falls, and those are ruler to the subject. Think about this a minute. Ruler to the subject, parent to the child, husband to the wife, the elder brother to the younger brother, and the friend to the friend. Even within friendships, a hierarchy must exist to ensure continuous harmony. Now, if you think about those relationships, it sounds a lot like if you take it out of Ephesians 5. They say, well, the husband-wife relationship is important. Friend to friend is important. Uh, employer to employee, master to slave, that's important. So within Confucianism, they even pick up a, a bit of the some biblical principles that even Confucius says these work. He didn't know they came from the Bible. He just knew they worked in society when society behaves, really, not that they're Christian, but they behave according to biblical principles. I mean, if you stop and think about it, uh, non-Christians can have a, a decent marriage. I mean, there are non-Christians who never go to church, have never been to church, but they may be married 60 or 70 years, and they get along fairly well. Now, when they die, they go to hell, but uh, my point is that here in this life, uh, by all appearances, it's not too bad. There, I see people out walking this morning. They, they're not harming anyone. They're not hurting anyone. I wish they were in here with us, but they're not. But uh, they're, they're not bad people, if you see what I'm saying. So, again, but it's in Confucianism, it is how we act now that gets me someplace else in the future. Again, it's works-based. Um, it, I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, Confucianism, and I thought, follow this one, bring it a little bit closer to home. What about the American Indian or the Native American or indigenous people, as they're called in Canada? Um, given all the Christian influence since the pilgrims in this country, um, you would think that maybe the, there would have been a strong influence of Christianity in Native American cultures. Uh, and I've done some missionary work and even some studies when I was in college uh, with, uh, in some reservations, but there's very little there actually, and if it is, Andy, it's, it's Catholic in nature. They, 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 they went, Catholic Catholicism goes onto the reservations. They do a lot of good work. 
but they're allowed to keep their, anima, their animism and their spiritism, uh, mingle that with some of the Catholic rituals and, you know, and a, a, a dead cross on a, you know, a dead Jesus on a cross around their neck, and they're, they're okay. They're, they're good to go. Um, in a nutshell, American Indians, are, their beliefs are animist. Uh, animals are essential to their beliefs and practices, always have been. You've probably heard of totem poles. The word totem means spirit leader. Uh, that connects your particular totem and animal to you as your spirit guide. Uh, you've probably seen American Western movies and books that included such ideas as that. Uh, even famous Indian names, Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, Black Hawk, and many others, all relate to this person's totem or spirit guide. He will guide you through the right life in this life, and he will help guide you through that in-between phase, and then he will lead you to the happy hunting ground where you will be happy. Okay, but again, it's all workspace. It's how you behave in this life, whether it's how many scalps you get, whether it's whether you obey your totem, meaning your animal, and how do you find that out? You go through a vision quest, uh, stay up on a mountain, sweat lodges, all these different things you have probably heard of among American Indians, and they find their, their animal guide. They now, it could, be, it could be even an ant, but it's something other than themselves. And it's something, uh, you know, you like to hear the buffalo or something like that, but, or some big, you know, the bear. But if, somebody, if an ant crawls up and you're out, you haven't eaten for three or four days, and you've been sweating or you've been exposing yourself to the elements outside, and an ant crawls across, and you, you say, wow, where'd that ant come from? Well, it could be that that ant is now your spirit guide. So it's a strange thing. Um, look at a couple of more. The Osmot. Who are the Osmots, you may ask? These are the peoples in and around Papua New Guinea. Um, who are they? Well, they are the headhunters and cannibals of jungle lore. Um, and yes, they did and still do when they can get away with it, behead and eat their enemies. Not all that often that I could find, but the modern record shows that it still does go on. Uh, during World War II, the land of the Osmot lay between the Japanese-held land west of New Guinea and allied held land in the east. Neither group wanted the part in the middle, given the reputation, since Dutch explorers as far back as 1623 described their sunk, shrunken heads and people eating. So the two, the two warring factions said, you know what, there's not a lot of fighting in there where the headhunters were. According to Osmot belief of creation, follow this, two brothers were the original inhabitants of the Osmot region. The older brother convinced the younger brother to cut off his head, and the decapitated head instructed the younger brother about how to go headhunting, process the trophy head, and use it in initiation rituals for young males. The name of the older brother was also transferred to the younger brother, an event mirrored in the practice of an Osmot taking the name of a person he has decapitated. The number of names a man has reflects the number of heads he has taken in his lifetime in accord with the great power traditionally accorded to the spirits of the deceased. The skull of a deceived relative was traditionally kept as de desirable protection against evil spirits. So that kind of gives you an idea of what these people believe, that whole belief system. They're, they're very um, um, ancestral worship. You find a lot of that in other religions. We don't worship our ancestors. Uh, we, if you were raised in a Christian home, I certainly appreciate my parents, but I don't worship them. But they did leave me a legacy, and I, I'm thankful for that. Um, how about our Australian uh, Aborigines? They worship the land. 
uh, they want to stay in, in uh, living within the land in harmony with the land, if you will. To the extent they take care of the land, including the trees, animals, rocks, etc., they please the spirits, and there are spirits in everything, including rocks to the aborigine. Like many pagan cultures, they see their ancestors in, among, and sometimes one of these spirits to keep them happy. Um, a lot of works and rituals and approaches to life, and, um, including the putting the rock back, to, back into its place after you pull it up and capture the lizard for dinner. So the, very, the land is very important to the aborigine. Again, they'll lift a rock, you know, lift up a rock, catch the, catch the lizard, but put the rock back in the same place lest you disturb the land. Now, you can eat the lizard, but you don't want to disturb the land. Uh, you probably remember hearing of the Laplanders. Laplanders, that's, that's way up in Scandinavia. They're the reindeer, reindeer people. You, you've, you've seen herding the reindeers? Well, man, I, well, this was a long I was in school a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, well, Dick's kind of yeah, different. Yeah, Santa's a different Laplander. Yeah, actually, they're, they're predominant. They're all across the North Scandinavian. <clears throat> but um, these are the reindeer people of farther northern Europe today. Most of them seem to identify with the state-run Lutheran Church of Norway. That makes sense, given that Norway is a very socialist state with government providing most everything to everyone. <clears throat> so the Laps figure, why not? They want me to be Norway Lutheran in exchange for taking care of me and my family. I'll be Norway Lutheran. Point is that, uh, that what we might think as an organized religion doesn't really mean anything to them, even though they are part of an organized religion. Um, Historically, they are animists and spiritists with any number of gods and spirits being identified. It's a form of polytheism, which means I believe, oh, I believe in all these gods, but it's also pantheism, which means there are a lot of gods. They are everywhere, and you never know where, one's going to find, where you're going to find one, so they're always watching you. You just don't know where they are or who they are. Okay? But one way or the other, you have to please them. It, uh, so again, it's a... It's, it's strange to us, but it's very common when you look at other forms of how mankind says, I can be right with God. I can be right in this life. My interlife, but the in-between life won't be that bad, and I will, I will be in heaven, nirvana, Valhalla, whatever that religion calls it. Okay. If you look at all of these religions, and there are thousands of other beliefs out there as well, look at them and what is the common denominator, um, if you will. I don't know, didn't know anything else to call it except what is common in them. The common theme is to please some higher being. And in a nutshell, it's works, which Andy has because I came up through his Catholic upbringing. You, you look at works, you look at... And it's beyond behavior. It's behavior, of course, but it's a works-based religion. I couldn't find anything, Andy, outside of Christianity that is anything but works. Even if you throw Christianity in there, even if you put, you know, a dead Jesus on a cross around your neck, and, and, and as long as if you have a, you know, a cross on a gold chain and a pulse, that makes you a Christian. It's like uh, uh, un unbelievable some of the stuff, and I just gave this example, that mankind will come up with to make himself right with God. This is ultimately what it is. He has this desire to please the God that he doesn't know. But Paul pointed that out when he said, you, you've even got this idol to this unknown God. <laughs> you know, to, so that I cover all my bases. Mankind always does that. Works is what the common denominator is. Um, when, when you say it's 
to the Romans reminder that every man shows that they know there is a God, right? So it's almost, I think, when I think about what you've said, I don't know, I, I personally think it works as much as a recognition that there is a God. And, and there are people, you know, Well, well, I, I, I would say that atheists, there, there are no true atheists because an atheist almost by definition worships himself. At, at, best, at, at, at worst, he worships no one but himself. At best, he worships just mankind and the fact he can accomplish it. But, and that's what I mean. Yeah. Well, they are the higher power. I, I would submit that they are the supreme being. An atheist, he is his own supreme being. I, I, I please myself. I do what's best for me. So I, I would, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I would submit that, uh, that every person has this, this, this vacuum, this void, this hole, and they will fill it with something, even if they fill it with themselves. There, there's this desire to worship. And as Paul pointed out, that they worship, in, in, the, in many of the cases what we've just covered, is that they worship the creature and not the creator. They know there's something beyond themselves, but they just have the wrong way of getting there because they want to insert themselves in their own salvation. We will do that. There are aspects of Christianity that, you know, God, you couldn't do it without me. Don't give me that. I've got to insert myself somehow. Um, Yeah, well, that's, that's Gaia. That's the Mother Earth. She's a female, and we worship her, the tree hugger kind of thing. That's sort of coach. Judy, that is a whole, that's something else in my head. That's a whole other story. That's more where we become, we, there's a technocracy where we will become a, a, a religion of technology, and that's what it's all about, and, and we will use technology. We will use Google and Amazon and SpaceX and Tesla um, to artificial intelligence we will use synthetic biology to um, to save the earth and thus save ourselves um, but let me keep going let me I gonna skip a lot of notes let me ask a question another question maybe you can hear me we're gonna jump way ahead I have a lot of other stuff we want to cover that I love this thing sort of but I would rather have a uh, we're going to figure out, I'm going to figure out how to put up the charts up on the screen up there. Here's a question. I'm not a big psychology guy, but I did take psychology some. And I, I, I don't follow it at all, but I, I kind of like some of the studies they do sometimes because one question that's been asked is, do I matter? I mean, when people ask, do I matter? Again, to whom? Um, and, but what if I fail? What if I do wrong? Do I still matter? And that's the question that psychologists will, oh, sorry about that. Psychologists will ask. Um, they get a lot of different answers. In some cases, no answer. 
think about that in your mind a minute. How would you answer someone who asks you, do I matter? Gee, James, do I matter? I mean, they're kind of down or they've just been thinking about it. It's sort of a theo- It is a theological as well as a philosophical question. Um, and you can tell them, yes, you do. No, you don't. Some people have different answers. Some people have no answers at all. But religion, if you think back, religion, all of the religions we just covered, religion tries to answer that question. Some religions try to answer that question in one way or another. How do I, how can I, if I matter by virtue of being me, then what if I do wrong? Now, the Catholic Church will baptize you as an infant, wash away original sin, help me, Andy, wash, wash away original sin. Now, there are these rituals and everything you've got to do in order to maintain that, that sinlessness or that perfection. So there's your beginning right there. But all the others I just covered, there's something you've got to do to continue to matter. And my point again is that in all other religions outside of ours, what you do makes you matter. What you do makes you matter. Follow this one. I should have written this one down, but I didn't have time. The matter of do you matter is a matter of making yourself matter. Okay? So it's all up to you. It's what you do, not what has been done for you. In the Bible, you do matter to the extent God is made in man, in God, that man is made in God's image and he watches over his creation. As a created being, you matter to God. There is nothing a man can do to make him, himself matter to God. As his creation, that man matters to God. And man matters to God in a way beyond all his other creations. Read Genesis 1 and you will see man has a special place not only in the order of creation, but the reason for creation. Created last and, was, and creation, God said, was very good. Up to that point, it was good. He creates man and now it's very good. Created to be in relationship with God. Other earthly creatures were created to be in relationship with their environment. Birds in the air fish in the sea only man was created to have a relationship with God his creator beyond that man matters because man is the only creature for whom God put a plan of redemption into place even though an enemy to God even though dead in trespasses and sin the sovereign plan of redemption put together some point in eternity by the triune God gives a person meaning that person does matter but if you do wrong what if you fail to measure up do you matter then that's a question. Even among Christianity, somebody does wrong and they, they feel a failure. There's guilt and there's shame. What do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my shame? A crucial question, Wayne. If you <laughs> In religion, you do not matter then. Once you've done wrong, you start, you, you start over. You're, you're on the bad side. Religion said you must regain your status as mattering in this world, and that is done by works. So you failed confess, do penance, and you matter again. Do wrong, do works, matter again. I do wrong, I do works, I matter again. The religious person's life is a never-ending cycle of doing wrong, doing works, mattering, mattering again over and over. Just as the priests in the Old Testament went daily, so religion requires that we daily work our way back into mattering in God's eyes. You see Hebrews 10, 11. So how can I be right if I am wrong? What makes me right? If it is not the works of religion and yet God requires righteousness, he demands that I be right, how does that come about? If I can't be right by my works, how am I made right? 
Well, like the exclusivity of Jesus in the gospel and the exclusivity of justification inside that gospel, again, justification is what? You maybe have heard it. It's kind of a guess what I'm thinking. Just if I'd never sinned, how do you get there? Not guilty. But, you, but, but you've sinned. How can you be just as I've never sinned if you've sinned? Imputed to us. So tell, tell me about that. Keanu, you brought, Keanu, you brought it up. I, 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 uh, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but, since, since, but just, justification, just if I'd never sinned. The gospel includes justification at the same time, no way for a man to justify himself. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.1 that we are justified by faith. Romans 3.28 says we are justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law apart from your works, apart from the Aborigines, apart from the American Indian, apart from the Catholics, apart from the Osmot, apart from the Laplanders, apart from all of that. Romans 4, 5 says, Believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Galatians 2, 16 said, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Okay, We are the only religion where someone outside, not only outside of me, outside of you, but outside of where we are, outside of our environment. We don't have to worship the land. We don't have to take care of the land. We didn't make it anyway. Something happened outside of us that is brought to us through faith in the very person, Jesus Christ, who did it for us. Let's see, let me jump ahead here. Let me ask another question. Alien. I, I like that word. I used to, I got tired of hearing about aliens a few years ago. Mainly because I just became a political football kind of force kind of thing. But alien actually is not a like bad word, right? Alien is you. Peter calls us aliens. He calls us aliens and strange. So we're all aliens. Because we don't want to. As Christians, you don't want them. No wonder. You know, nobody likes them. Belonging uh, are relating to another person, place, or thing. Another, differing in nature or character to the point of incompatibility. Coming from another world. Think about that definition. Right? How can we be made right? The word is used in the Bible. Are you, are you as, your, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, not up here, a lot of people know about Jesus up here. A lot of the other religions toss Jesus into the mix. Listen, you can be a Hindu and believe in Jesus. That's not what I mean. Not up here, it's in here. There's a huge gap between here and here. You can know something about him, okay, but he not be living inside of you. There is a, there is a huge difference in what we believe and what all other religions believe. Is your righteous alien, given that definition, Well, look at the bottom one. Did you look at the bottom if you can see it? I'm looking for answers here, okay? I got, I got the answers on the board. It is. 
It is. It is. It belongs to another person. My righteousness differs in nature to the point of incompatibility. My righteousness comes from another world. Using this definition, it gives a deeper and more powerful meaning to Christ's righteousness being imputed, not infused, Andy, imputed, not infused. We aren't filled up with his righteousness and therefore like a, like a glass and it evaporates out, like a glass of water. We're not infused with it, therefore we, we've got to go do more things. In Catholicism, we've got to go do more things so that we, we're filled up again. His righteousness is imputed to us. We are seen as being right because God sees Jesus Christ. When he sees me, he looks through the cross. Jesus' death on the cross, his shed blood, his perfect sinless life is between me and God who sees me. Who he, if, if, if Christ did not die for me, I am subject to God's wrath. But he separates me. Now from, he, cleanses, he clears me of God's wrath. Based on what Jesus says, he looks at me and he sees Christ. There was a song, I, couldn't, I meant to write it down, but there was a song we sang just a couple of weeks ago. He sees me and he sees Christ. That's, that's who he sees. He doesn't see me in my failures and my failings. Goodness, if he did, I, I, I among all men would be most miserable like Paul said. But he doesn't. He sees what Christ did for me. I can't earn it, and I can't keep it by doing good works, and God infuses more righteousness into me, as the Catholics and other religions teach. I can't be more right than I am now. Follow this. I'm not, I'm not being boastful. <laughs> okay, this is what Christ does. I cannot be more right than I am now because my rightness is not mine to begin with. It is alien to me. It belongs to another person. I, I am simply clothed with it as if it were mine. Using the definition of alien, this righteousness differs in nature to the point of incompatibility. Christ's righteousness does not fit, so to speak, on a non-believer. It's exclusive to a believer. The unredeemed cannot wear this righteousness because it is by definition different in nature to the point of incompatibility. But for the believer, we are new creatures in Christ. And his righteousness does fit us. With my new nature, I am now compatible with the righteousness of Christ. Being born again or born from above, God is spirit, being born from above that I had nothing to do with, I am now compatible with righteousness that comes from above, with clothing from above. Now, note that an alien righteousness comes from another world. I don't know if you've ever considered that, but until I really grasped that man does not live by bread alone, but by what? By, by every word. And so I got kind of into, I look word definition and so on, but I let words be words. Now I try to wrestle with the meanings of some words. This opened my eyes to my righteousness, imputed to me by God through Christ. It is literally from another world. It does not occur naturally. It is not of the earth. If it were, I could somehow earn it through works and earthly deeds of my own. As a natural man, a man of the earth, Paul calls earthy, as Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, 47, I could naturally make myself righteous through earthly, worldly good works. In which case the world may see me as right, but it would be of this world an earthly, an earthy rightness, but that does not make me right before a supernatural God who operates outside of time and space. 
He is above and beyond our being in that he is supernatural and not of this world. Yet I am natural and of this world. The only way I can be right before him is to have righteousness that is not of this world. That is when, what I mean by an alien righteousness. Christ left his realm in glory, condescended to come to earth, live as a man, never sinned. His life was always just and his life was always right. He died that he may pass to me his sinless perfection. By faith, I believe that. God takes my heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He makes me a new supernatural creature. And as I noted earlier, I am born again from above. It happens outside of me. It happens outside of this earth. It is supernatural in nature. It comes to me from God through his son, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 47 through 48 says, the first, the first man, Adam, is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Paul separates the natural man from the heavenly man, the natural man from the redeemed man who is now supernatural literally in nature. Why? Because that's why we're aliens here. We, we don't belong here. I'm, I'm not comfortable here. Ryan, the older I get, the less comfortable I am. Why? Because I just, you know, I long to be somewhere other than here. I, to be honest, I, I can get, I just get, I like people <laughs> and I like my life. And I, I have uh, very few regrets, really. And I, I, I ask the Lord to take the, even those sense of regrets from me. But uh, beyond that, I, I'm, I don't belong here. I try to minister as best I can. I try to be as kind to others as I possibly can. I try to witness as, as, as much as the opportunity provides itself. But when all is said and done, this earth is not my home. And I'm just, I'm just passing through. Uh, basically, I don't mark time. I don't mean that. I'm not just marching in place, just saying, "Oh Lord, I can't wait till you get here." I am, I am occupy. I want to occupy till He comes. That's one of the reasons I'm here this morning. Uh, I, I, go, go ahead. His world anymore. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, I don't mean to be everybody say, "Oh wow, boy, Jeff's one miserable character." Uh, you know, that's not the case at all. If you know me at all, you know, I, you know, I like to tell people, you, you, you know, high school superlatives when you get voted high school superlatives, you, you, you remember that? Most likely to succeed and best looking, all that. well, most likely, you know, you get old and most likely to succeed didn't, best looking didn't, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but I got wittiest. <laughs> so go figure that one. Uh, but anyway, so I, I can, I mean, I, I know how to have a good time. But to be honest, I, I, it's hard for me to have a good time outside of the Christian structure. Uh, to be honest, I, I want to have non-Christian associates, but it's hard for me to have fellowship with a non-Christian. Uh, I don't, I don't, it's hard to, hard to, difficult to share a meal with them because they need the gospel, and that's what I'm here for, is to try to present to them the gospel and the way of salvation and get them out of some of these, some of these thought processes that religion will take them into. And today, if you talk to me, people are looking at the media and looking at Hollywood, and Oprah will tell you that all roads lead to heaven. 
we just all climb a different mountain. We go to a different path. All roads lead to God. One way or the other, we're all going to be, we're all, we're all going to get to heaven. We're at whatever heaven is. The Bible doesn't teach us that, as you know. So now that I'm no longer natural and of this world, I am now compatible to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That makes me right in God's eyes. As righteous, I am also just and stand before God clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and I am seen by the Father just as if I'd never sinned. Doesn't mean you don't confess your sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even when I'm wrong. It's not me that cleanses myself. He cleanses me from my unrighteousness, and He makes me right again through the blood of Christ. So the gospel is exclusive. No other religion clothes its adherence with the righteousness of God's Son. Only Christianity does. Only what we believe does. I hope that we have covered today, and it was a lot, I hope it helps us to see deeper into what Paul lays out for us as we continue in the book of Romans. Uh, we'll cover some more of that. As Andy continues, I've got 9.55, unbelievable, but I did carve out about 40 minutes and not cover it. Uh, points, James, you're, Ryan, questions? Not that I've got, no, I'd, I'd look, there was a guy, Hank Hendergraff calls himself the Bible answer man. I ain't him. Okay, so I don't. I think one of the things that is frankly unsettling and stunning is the fact that our Lord so simply says it's a narrow gate and there are few right. who find it. And I, I think for the believer, that's a very surreal thing. When you come to the realization, look at all the religions of the world that essentially are, are motivating the people of the world. Look at the more mainline religions. I mean, let's just look at, frankly, the Southern Baptists. Look how many revivals and renewals and rededicate. What is that? That is a failure to realize everything that you taught us, Jeff this morning about the fact that it doesn't come from within you. And that that should leave us absolutely startled because that is almost everybody in the church realm around us. And then you read the passage that the road is wide and it is full. And what is most unsettling is that road is full of very religious people. Who are going to be shocked in their delusion when they stand before the very one exclusive means by which they could have ever been right with God? Yeah. The, That's unsettling. The, well, the vast majority of people who believe themselves to be good people are neither just nor right in their thinking. <laughs> That's the problem. It's all, you know, I'm not that bad. I look at myself or I look at others and I'm, I'm certainly not as bad as the other guy. So it's always been that way. But, the, the, but, they, are, they, are on, but they think they're on their way to heaven.
over and over and over again where after a while I'm thinking like it's it's a it's a huge burden. Yeah. It's like you you mess up so often and you're often going up. Okay, I want to rededicate my life. I want to rededicate my life. So yeah, I I've been through that whole yeah. one of the most helpful testimonies the Lord's given us is Martin Luther. You oh yeah. Talk about beating yourself. He slept on a rack of wood in the highest portion of the monastery in the freezing German winter in order to punish himself to purity. And it wasn't until he came to this beautiful doctrine of justification by faith outside of you that he ever got off of that road, Kiana, that you just described. Now, we don't beat ourselves, but that's what Luther went through. And it was realizing that the righteousness that is demanded by God has to come from outside of me. And then he absolutely disrupted the entire religious world to the point of being hunted by him. Right. Yeah. That's how narrow that door Well, he... he what really, for Martin Luther, and you're exactly right, he said, by grace, and he struggled with just those two, by grace, by gr what, what, what does by grace mean? Again, what does the word grace mean? And if I can't earn it, no matter what he did, there was, and I didn't, I, it, one, one day we'll do it and I'll be able to put some stuff, because I think actual pictures of people climbing on their knees up the 300 steps in wherever that is. They've, they've opened that back up again now. That, you know, and climbing the steps, climbing, crucifying yourself. I mean, actual, these people, there's a, one guy in the Philippines, his name was Bargallo, and he's proud of himself, actually. Uh, he's, this, this past year was his 20th year to be crucified. And he's crucified every year on Good Friday. He's been doing it for 20 years. And he not only has, uh, he did not only his hands, nails through his hands, but he doesn't put the ribbons or the ropes around his arm, hold his arms up. He's so tough that he just hangs there by the nails. Uh, uh, unbelievable, sad, sad. On the one hand, it's kind of, wow, I can't believe that. On the other hand, it is so sad. So very, very sad that people, people do that. And they think this is somehow pleasing, somehow pleasing. Yeah. If you go there and you stand at the top of those steps, they will be filled particularly with elderly women yeah. who are kneeling on every one of those marble steps for hours all the way up those steps doing penance, yeah. trying to do the very thing that God says you can never do. And it is the most. Yeah, have you, you've, have, you, have you seen the steps? I, I saw the steps on the picture, and now these have been these have been around a long, long time. They claim they're the steps that were at Pontius, Pontius Pilate's palace, and these are the steps that Jesus walked up to face Pontius Pilate. So they they've moved them around. They've got them from you know Jerusalem, brought them to Rome, and all this stuff. But these they are they are they are stone. I don't know if they're marble or what, but they're worn out. These are stone steps worn out from the thousands and thousands of people climbing them. They can now, they're going to, I read where they're now going to cover them with back again with uh, uh, some walnut or something, turn them back into wood and leave them open so you can kiss the steps as you walk up. But they're wearing down so much because so many people. How powerful is what God has put within us, even in our fallen state, to reach 
which is what I tried to point out and what we just covered. It is a, a man-based, I can do it. I, I, I can do it. I can do it myself. Uh, if there, if I've said, if there is a jukebox in hell, <laughs> I doubt there is, but if there's a jukebox in hell, the number one song is going to be, I did it my way. Okay, because that's what we think. But we are born with a desire to, we know there's, a, we know there's something outside of ourselves. That's why creation screams the answer for. And people, and mankind looks at the creation, but they, I mean the creator, and they know there's a creator, but they end up worshiping trees and rocks and stones and idols they make with their own hands. Okay, I see people piling up out back, out, speaking of uh, people stopping at the top, there they are. So, off you go. Thank you.